Hey, take your Bible, turn to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, we're going to be in part two of our series on Elijah. And you can go ahead and keep reading uh, 1 Kings 17. We're going to talk about the widow next week, Lord willing. Um, we're going to keep just walking right through all the way to 2 Kings chapter 2. It's going to take us as long as it takes us. Not, not a big rush here. Uh, last week we started our series. We called it The Tipping Point. Israel had literally come to a tipping point. And already this week I've, I've heard several people, newscasters, other, other people speaking, commentators, things like that. I've heard this phrase tipping point used several, several times over this past week. Uh, I believe the, the world's feeling it. Us as the body of Christ, we've got to know that God's up to something, wants to do something. Israel had reached a tipping point. We were introduced to this, this king last Sunday. We were introduced to King Ahab. Remember, he's the seventh king of the northern kingdom. Remember, the kingdom is divided at this time, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Ahab is the seventh king. And this is what it says of Ahab. This is the commentary. This is the epitaph. This is what would be put on his tombstone if God was writing the tombstone. It's really, it's put, really is kind of put there. It's right here in the scriptures. It says this about Ahab. He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Wow, that's, that's quite something to say about somebody, isn't it? Now, what did we talk about last week? The, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. What, what is the particular evil that God is pointing out when he says that? And he says it several times, especially through this, this neck of the woods in the scripture. What, what is the evil that we're talking about? Remember, it's idolatry, right? It's the worship of other gods. It's the worship of false gods. It's the bringing in of idols, whether it be the, the idol of a statue or the idol of a, a false idea of who God is. Ahab was guilty more so than all who were before him. And then it says this about him. And it's like it says this same sentence in one paragraph, okay? The, the, next, the end of the paragraph says, He did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, I know sometimes we pick a fight, but do you really want to pick a fight with God? I don't think you're going to win that deal. I think he's undefeated. He, did, all, he did, did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel. Now, the one particular thing it says that he did to provoke God, God to wrath, more so than anything else, was he married Jezebel, who brought all of this Baal worship into Israel. He built a temple for Baal. He built all these groves on the high places for Baal worship. Married Jezebel. And she's one of the more notorious women of all of Scripture, that Jezebel. You know? In fact, Shows up in John the Revelator's writings over in uh, Revelation 2 and 3 as he speaks to one of the churches. All right, now, what we're seeing here with Elijah and King Ahab, we're seeing the clashing of the two kingdoms. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Baal. The kingdom of God clashing with the kingdom of darkness. We see Elijah versus Ahab and Jezebel, and that's really going to become prominent here in the next couple chapters. We see truth versus lies, this clashing of the kingdoms. We see freedom that God offers to live in His grace and His goodness versus the bondage that always comes from serving a false god. We see ultimately, we see light versus darkness in this encounter that Elijah has with Ahab. You know, the clashing of the kingdoms, kingdoms is still going on today, isn't it? New Testament calls it spiritual warfare, the idea of, of putting on your, your, the armor because we're in the spiritual battle. We're involved in the spiritual battle. Like it or not, we are not on a picnic. We're in a war. You realize that with the forces of darkness. Here, here's the perspective I want you to keep, though. Because of what Jesus has done, we just sang it. 
where he, where it's the, the phrase we sang in that song, it says, it is finished. Here's the perspective to keep in this war. The war has been won, but the battle still continues. You think about that just for a second. The war has already been won by Jesus. He has made a show of the enemy openly, triumphing over them in, it, in his cross. He is seated upon the throne as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But yet the battle still rages over our lives, but Jesus is king already. Amen? Amen. So we see this clashing of the kingdoms. Today we're getting to message number two. Let's talk about this idea, supernatural provision. Can you say that with me? Supernatural provision. All right, I hope you're believing God for that. All right, verse number one, it says this, 1 Kings 17. And Elisha the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now think about that, going into a king's palace, standing before a king's throne and telling him, it will happen because I said it will happen and you can't do nothing about it. It turns out that this no, rune, no rain, no dew, it turns out that this drought lasts over three years. The New Testament says three and a half years, actually. You think about it, if it didn't rain for three and a half years, you think of the consequences and the fallout of all of that. It'd be, famine would be everywhere. Sickness would be widespread. Poverty would be all over the place. But why would God give such a severe judgment? Well, he warned previously, we looked at that last week in Deuteronomy 11, that if you do these things, this will be the consequences. It wasn't a sneak up attack. It wasn't God pulling the rug out from anybody. He said it long before. He said, if you do this, and God who was slow to anger waited and waited and waited over six kings, which was about 60 something plus years, God was patient, but they kept getting progressively worse. And God said, now it's going to be a severe judgment. Severe judgment. Why, why would the judgment be so severe? Simply because the sickness of sin and idolatry was so bad, the treatment for this sickness had to be strong and aggressive. Isn't that how your doctor works? The sicker you are, the stronger the medicine. Isn't that how it works over there? Isn't that how it works at the nurse? The stronger the sickness, the stronger the, the treatment. An untreated sickness, this untreated sickness of sin and idolatry would ultimately, ultimately lead the people into eternal death. See, God knows that. See, we ask questions, why such a severe judgment? Because we don't understand how serious sin is. We really don't. And God will not leave it untreated. All right. So Elijah the prophet comes in to confront Ahab. Elijah, he's this rugged man. I, I see him with, with a beard, his hair. I see him a little unkept with his hair. I see him with his, his camel's hair and his leather belt on. And he's just a rugged man from a, the rugged hills of Gilead. He's bold. He's confident. He's unashamed of God. He's straight to the point. And without a doubt, his message is unwanted by Ahab. Nobody wants to hear a message like this that, hey, buddy, it's up. Your time is over. His message is unwanted, it's unpleasant, and it's certainly going to be unpopular. And we're going to see that later fall out with Jezebel, especially with her and all her cohorts. Now, Elijah the prophet. Now, think about that statement. Elijah the prophet. What is a prophet? Because I, I want us to have a healthy respect of, of the prophet. I want us to have a healthy respect for the Word of God and the prophetic Word of God and learn to receive and weigh the Word of God and, and follow and do the Word of God that comes in the prophetic sense. The prophets of Scripture are given to us 
And they speak very candidly and very pointedly to us. There are prophetic voices among us and around us. What is a prophet? Let, let, let me just kind of give you some ideas of what a prophet does so you kind of can, can acquaint yourself with Elijah just a little bit more. As this crooked politician meets this straightforward prophet, what's a prophet to do? Now, try to think through what you know about Elijah and see how he applies all of these principles of what a prophet really is. First of all, a prophet speaks the word of the Lord. They're not to go in their own message. They're not to go with their own ideas. They're not to go with, you know, their own thoughts. They literally go and deliver the word of the Lord. They're, they're the sent ones to speak the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is oftentimes very pointed and direct. The prophets do this. They see evil that nobody else seems to see. You know, they're in, in the scriptures uh, and throughout history, they're called seers. You, have you heard of that word? S-E-E-R-S, -E -E seers. They're called seers because they see what nobody else sees. Now, we often think of the prophets of telling the future and all that kind of thing, but that was really a, a small part of what the prophets did. They didn't always tell the future in the sense of this is going to happen. Now, we do have accounts of Daniel and some things like that that are, are foretelling the future, but mostly what they, they do is they come forthright and judge the people where they are and say, this is the consequence of what you're doing, and this is what you need to do to get out of it, to make it right, okay? That's what the prophets do. They see evil that nobody else seems to see. They peer right into the heart of people. And they see those parts of us that we don't show nobody. And that's what Elijah does to Ahab, isn't it? He does that to Jezebel, certainly. Another idea of the prophets, they have one hand towards God and one hand to man, bringing the two together. They are the intercessors of Scripture. They hold God and man in a single thought, is what Abraham Heskel said. And if you ever get a chance to read a book by Abraham Heskel, he's a, he's a Jewish theologian. He's passed now. But he wrote a book on the prophets. It's about that thick. It's about as thick as a dictionary. But it's real, really worth your read. One hand to God and one hand to man, trying to bring the two together. That, that's what Elijah really wants. He doesn't want the drought. What he wants is the man to humble his heart and return to God. But God knows that without this severe judgment and this treatment that he's got to give this man, there will be no humbling. Some of the last things about a prophet. Prophets hold us responsible to God. Showing us our error and pleading for us to return to God. It's this paradox of their message. In, in fact, if a, if a prophet was to come to town, now think of the towns are like small villages, kind, kind of like what we live in. They're just small towns and, and maybe one way in and one way out. Maybe there's city walls and things like that. If a prophet was to come to town, the city elders would meet them at the door and at the, at the gate and say, uh, what do you want? <laughs> they were not the most popular. In fact, the commentary on Israel is that they are the ones who kill and stone the prophets because they rarely had good news at first. Their message was often full of doom and hope. It's this mixture. That if you read the prophets, you'll find that out. They talk about, really, what they're saying is, you know what, you think it's bad. I'm going to tell you, in God's eyes, it's worse than you can imagine. That's what they tell us. The prophets hear God's voice. And they feel God's heart. 
If you read the book of Jeremiah, you'll, you'll, you'll see that plainly. He hears God's voice, but, but Jeremiah doesn't just hear like he's mechanical or something. He's a man. He hears God's voice, but he also hears God's heart. And it stirs Jeremiah in such a way that he's called the weeping prophet. He said, oh, I wish that my eyes were rivers of tears, and therefore would I not weep both day and night for the sons and daughters of Israel. They feel God. They feel his heart. And last but certainly not least, the prophets are the light of God shining into the darkness. Don't you see Elijah being all of that kind of stuff we talked about? Don't you see him doing that? And so, boom, a light. I mean, he, he literally comes into Ahab's life, not just like a light, but like as a flash of lightning right there. Boom. And the word of the Lord comes. So here comes Elijah. Again, as the Lord God of Israel lives. Elijah comes in and says, I am Elijah. What does his name mean? Do you remember? The Lord is God. Jezebel's name is Baal is to be honored or Baal is noble. And Elijah comes, his very presence, his very name, his very character, who he is, screams in Ahab's face and says, the Lord is God and you have forgotten him. And I'm here to tell you, he's alive and he's not happy. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, no dew, no rain, except at my word. Now think about this now again. How could Elijah have this kind of boldness and power? Wouldn't you like a little bit of that boldness? I mean, wouldn't you like a little bit of that power? I mean, this, this man really has embraced the power of God and is serving God on a level that, that nobody in this whole generation is doing, actually. What was Elijah's secret? Is there some kind of secret there? Well, the scripture actually tells us. Because I, what I want is for us to understand that there is hope for us to do something meaningful for God. That's one of the reasons these stories are written. So they can strengthen us and encourage us and equip us. Not so that we just say, whoa, Elijah, man, you're awesome. I'm going to say that. He is an awesome man. He towers above all men in his generation. But it's for us to embrace not just Elijah, but the God of Elijah, and to believe that the God of Elijah is our God. And the God who did that in Elijah's life can do the same in our life. Whatever it might be, he can use us in a meaningful way. All right? Now, here, here's some of Elijah's secret. If you read through the story, you get over to 1 Kings 19.10. Elijah, as, this was kind of a bad time in his life, but this is what he says about him, why he did what he did. Okay, this is some of his secret. Elijah says this, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Can you read that with me? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Now this idea of zealous, we, we, we don't use that word very much in our language. It's the idea of having a passion. You got a passion about something or somebody? You got that kind of passion? That thing that drives you to really act on behalf of it? Zealous means this. To be jealous for the Lord's sake. In context, it means that. To be jealous for the Lord's sake. Now, it's not a jealousy like that's destructive and terrible. It's the kind of jealousy that causes you to protect a relationship. Kind of like a husband would have for his wife or a wife would have for her husband. They're zealous in nature. And the Bible says right here that Elijah was zealous for the Lord's name. He was zealous for the Lord's honor. It kind of reminds me of Jesus. Remember in John chapter 2, I think you've just covered that in Sunday school just recently. In John chapter 2, or, or going to, Jesus gets upset. All the stuff that's going on in the temple, in his father's house, 
You remember Jesus fashions a whip, goes in, turns over the money changer tables. What they had done is taken and put merchandise into the court of the Gentiles, which was the place that all the other nations could come. And the Jews, not liking the Gentiles very much, they built their merchandise center right there where the Gentiles are supposed to come and worship Yahweh. And they took over part of the temple. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. My father's house will be a house, for all, a house of prayer for all nations. And he begins to turn over the tables and he whips the guys who are in charge of it and drives them out, the scripture says. And the, the apostles were reminded in that moment of what the scripture said. It says this, zeal for your house has eaten me up. It's what motivated Jesus. It's what motivated Elijah. Now think about this. You, you remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus taught us to pray in this manner. Remember? Say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, Jesus taught us to pray like that because what Jesus is wanting to instill in us is this zeal for God's name. Is that It's our heart and desire and we're praying for it every day that God's name would be honored. That's, that's one of the secrets. Elijah didn't want his name to be honored. He was just somebody come out of the desert mountains somewhere. Nobody even knew who he was up to this point. He wasn't even worried about that though. What he wanted to do was bring honor and glory to God's name. Jesus taught us to be the same way. That we're to be a people who want to see our Father's name honored. Amen. Amen. His kingdom to come and his will to be done. He was very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. And because of this zeal, the second part of the secret is that he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. It's found over in James 5. You remember the scripture, James 5, 16 through 18? It says this. You've probably heard this before. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then it goes on and talks about this effective man, Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Oh, wait a minute. Now, are you serious? Because, see, we've, we've got Elijah with an S on his chest and a cape on his back flying, leaping tall buildings at the single bound. That's how we see him. But the scripture points out that Elijah was a person. He was very human. As the story plays out, we're going to see that some of that humanity does come out, and it's not always good. But the, the hope is, is that if God can use Elijah, he can use you. You hear that? Because he was just like us. He was human. He had to put his pants on, or I guess he didn't wear pants, I guess, but he had to put his pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> and he had to strap his belt on just like we do. He was a man with a nature like ours, and yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. So somehow or another, whatever Elijah was doing over in Gilead in those hidden mountains in secret is what empowered him to go in public and be effective and make a change for his culture and his generation. You hear what I'm talking about? Jesus said this, if you will enter into your prayer closet, into your secret place, your father who hears in secret will reward you openly. Elijah becomes part of that testimony. He prayed earnestly. Earnest. What, what does that mean, earnestly? Well, I, I kind of see that. that that's, he got into it. it. It wasn't just, oh, God bless them and move on about your day. Or God help them move on about your day. 
This man was earnest in his praying. He was earnest in his intercession towards people and for people. He was even praying for Ahab and Jezebel, I believe. He was praying for God's name and honor to be given back to Israel. He was praying for God's blessing, but he didn't just mouth words and he just didn't go through a prayer list. He, he prayed earnestly. Now, what's that word earnest mean? Now, if you're going to buy a house, the bank wants you to do what? They want you to put down a deposit or some earnest money. They want you to put down some earnest money because when you put earnest money, you've got something in it, right? This is what earnestly praying, you, you put something in it, not just something, you put you into it. And I just remember the, 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 the thunderous prayer meetings that I've been to in, in my childhood from some of these old timers that would pray and you could tell they were praying earnestly. Now, I'm not talking about religiously, I'm just talking about earnestly. You can pray religiously and it just makes all of us kind of wonder what's happening. But praying earnestly has to do with your heart and your soul reaching up to God and out to men trying to bring the two together as the prophet would do. Interceding on behalf you put something in it. Hey, you don't like that person at work that doesn't put anything into it. You know their heart's not there. An athlete who just halfway gives his effort, you can take that home with you, buddy. We're not going, we don't need that around here. How about praying? We need people who know how to pray earnestly. Our nation's in need of it right now. Your family's in need of it. Hey, hey you're in need of it. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. Earnestly, I believe. And the heavens gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. You know what? Elijah did what nobody else would do. And that's why he could do what nobody else could do. You hear what I'm talking about? So Elijah, you've taken a stand. And we're knowing that in our country now. We're, we're, we're having to take a stand more so than maybe we have in our whole lifetime. I hope we've been standing somewhat all along, but, but now we know for sure in our country's status we, we've got to take a stand. So you've taken a stand. You've spoken the word of the Lord. Now what? Now what? Because the kingdoms are clashing now. This is a war. They're not just, Ahab's not just going to tip your hat, his hat to you and say, oh, well, good day. I hope you have a good one. It's going to stir up some stuff, isn't it? So now what do you do? Verse number two. Read this along with me. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, or the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now, you see that? Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, You know what Elijah had to do? He got his instructions in Gilead and had to come and speak in Samaria to Ahab. But the assignment's not over. His life's not over. There's still more things God needs to do. So what does Elijah have to do? He has to check back in for instructions. You understand that? You have to learn to listen for new direction. Because what God wants to do is, you know, we would like it when we came from Gilead to Samaria. We'd like for God to have given us a five-year plan and I know exactly what I'm going to do for the next five years. But is that how he works? No, no, no. He leads us step by step and day by day, doesn't he? That's just the way it works with him. I would like the five-year plan. Maybe I would like it. I don't know if I want to know what's going to happen in five years. 
I would like a little bit more information, but what the scripture portrays our, our walk with God is this. It says that we are to walk in the spirit. Now, some of the modern translations say live in the spirit. I don't have a problem with that necessarily, but I like the idea of walk because how do you take a walk? Just one step at a time. How do you walk in the spirit? One step at a time. How do you walk with God? One step at a time. And that's important for us now because it's our whole life that's to be entrusted in God. It's not just the next assignment or what I need to do for my next month or two months or six months or five years. It's actually what I need to do with every single step. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Some of my favorite scripture says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Isn't that good news? That's what Elijah does. He acknowledges God. God speaks to him, directs him again, and the word of the Lord comes. And it says this. The word of the Lord says, hide by the brook Cherith, or Cherith is, is the C-H is, is like a K in, in the Hebrew idea. Hide by the brook Cherith. Now, this idea of hide is interesting because in the Hebrew, it, it simply means to be absent. What God was doing, he was protecting the prophet, I believe, because there's about to be serious fallout. Jezebel's getting, well, she's, she's, she's buried up now. To hide is the idea the prophet was vacating the premises. He was going to be absent. This was part of the judgment. The word of the Lord was spoken. The judgment was very severe. And there was no more word that would come forth. The prophet was being removed from the scene. We see that happen several times in Scripture. I believe it's the prophet Amos says there's a, there was a famine of the word of the Lord. That's exactly what happens. See, the dew in the rain was not just a physical judgment. It actually was a spiritual portrayal of what was going on in the heavenlies. That God was not going to send the dew of his word anymore. He's not going to send the rain of his presence on Israel no more. Not, this, no, judgment has come. He is withdrawing. And that's not a good day now. That's not a good day. So the drought was literally an illustrated sermon. So Elijah, I want you to go down and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Now here's a picture. This is actually what some consider to be this particular brook. It's a picture from this, that particular region there. You see the brook? You see it? Just take, take that in. Just look at the terrain. It's rugged. But it's just... What, what, we wouldn't call it a brook in Alabama. What would we call it? That's a creek, isn't it? Everybody knows that's a creek, <laughs> right? In some places, I think in Tennessee, they call it a creek, but that's another story. <laughs> just just get, take that picture in real quick, all right? See that idea? You, you see Elijah, he'd be over there, maybe in that, that bush over there. And, and some... We're not sure the time frame, but some suggest that Elijah was in this particular region, maybe in a cave in this mountainside here. He was in this particular region for almost a year of his life. Okay, Now go and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Now the word Cherith, and think about this, the word Cherith means separation. So what God was saying to the prophet, I am going to separate you from all the sin and all the evil that's in, in, in Israel. I want to put you away and keep you during this season because it is about to get real hot. Now there are seasons that God calls us to of separation and solitude. 
And those are very, very important. I want to to suggest to you that one of the most important spiritual disciplines that you can bring into your life is the discipline of solitude. That That may seem unreasonable because of all of your demands and all the things that are around you and all the little ones that may be around you. But one of the most important things you can do spiritually is solitude. Get away from everything. Everybody needs the brook Cherith somewhere. Jesus had it. It was called Gethsemane. That's why they knew exactly where to go get him because he went there all the time. Everybody needs a place of solitude, a place where you can just unplug from this world and plug into another world. A place where you can just find yourself alone until you're not alone anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Find yourself a place of solitude to where you take all the headphones out of your ears. You take all the electronics out of your pockets. You turn them all off. You don't answer phone calls. And it's just you and him sitting there. And oftentimes a place of solitude is not a place where you pray and talk. It's sometimes just a place where you sit. And you learn to be quiet before the Lord. And in solitude you find this out. What God says to you will be way more important than what you say to God. That's a place of solitude. Elijah is going to spend a year of his life right here. Now, I don't know. God may just want you to have a few hours or moments of solitude. That may be all you can get on a day, but I recommend you find that place of solitude every single day. I like mine in my sunroom, in that corner, in that chair. God meets me over there with a cup of coffee. God just likes coffee, I think. (laughs) At least I do, anyway. Try to find that place every day. So my heart doesn't get anxious, especially during these kind of seasons we're going through. So my heart doesn't just explode with all the anxieties of life. I have to find that place of solitude to where God just puts his hand and I learn to be still and I simply know that he is God. I don't have to work out all the problems in the world. I don't even have to work out all the problems in my world. He is God and I am not. The Lord God lives. That's what the place of solitude reminds me. I stand before him. Find that place of solitude. And we neglect it at our peril. I just want to suggest to you that one of the keys to your mental health will be finding that place of solitude. I can promise you. Go hide yourself at the brook. (laughs) Sometimes I got to hide. Don't you have to hide? Because there's all kind of folks looking for you, isn't it? I mean, folks, you know, never mind. Let's, let's move on. Verse 4 through 6. Listen, get some more text here. At the brook, and it will be, this is the, the Lord speaking to him, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, wait a minute now. That's a little odd, isn't it? Commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he did, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Hmm. That was an interesting year, wasn't it? Now, now notice this. Here's another picture right there. It's a brook and not a river. You know the difference? Difference has to do with the magnitude, doesn't it? The size of it all. 
I want to be honest with you. When I'm going through a hard time, I don't just want a brook. I want a river. I mean, I just don't want daily bread. I want a bread truck that's going to supply me for the next six months. You know what I'm talking about? Isn't that what we want? But God, when He provides for us, He doesn't provide rivers. He provides a brook. He, he provides for your needs, not your greeds. It kind of reminds me, remember we went through Psalm 23? He makes me, he makes me to lie down in the green pastures. Remember the idea of the green pastures we talked about? That some of those green pastures are, are plush and they're, they're full green grass, but some of it is just these little tufts of grass along the path of life that you just have to take and eat a mouthful here and a mouthful there and a mouthful of... Remember those pictures I showed you about that? That's what this reminds me of, this idea of the brook, because it's, it's, it's not just a, a super prosperous time, but it is a time where you're taken care of. It's not where all your dreams come true, but it is a time where you're sustained and taken care of. That's important. But because before you can thrive, first you've got to survive. And what God is teaching the people, he's teaching Elijah this. He's teaching Elijah. See, he's got a big day coming at Mount Carmel. But Mount Carmel doesn't work unless you go to Brook Cherith. See, the fire doesn't fall from heaven unless you've been in solitude with the one who can bring the fire from heaven. Huh. It's a brook and not a river. Remember this. God will never give you anything today that will make him unnecessary tomorrow. Just know that. The ravens. Isn't that an odd detail in the story? Supernatural provision. There's no doubt about this. This is supernatural that you would get a scavenger bird to go and get bread and meat and bring it to the man of God. It makes this bird literally go against its own nature. God said that he was going to give the ravens food every morning. He'd have bread and meat to eat. Every night, he'd have some bread and meat to eat. Elijah was taken care of. But, but you know, it, it was not, he, he didn't have a freezer to put it all in. He was going to have to trust God. What was that? What were we talking about? Walking with God? What, what is that thing? What, what is it? Step by step. He's going to have to walk out of that cave every morning and say, Lord, if you don't provide for me, I don't have anything. He's going to have to step out of that cave every night when it gets dark and say, Lord, if you don't give me what I need, I don't have anything. Here's the secret. I know when times are lean, we learn to live like that. But God wants us to learn to live like that even when times are prosperous. Because even blessing in abundance always comes from his hand. And Israel was warned time and time and time again to be very careful when things go good and you get very prosperous. Be very careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Prosperity oftentimes gives us amnesia, doesn't it? The ravens. That, that just blows my... Can you, can you see them birds flying in? Can you see them? I don't know what kind of meat it was. Maybe it was some of those gazelle that were on the side of the hill. They took it and got it and brought it back to Elijah and he had a little campfire there, stuck it on a stick, got him some herbs off that bush, sprinkled it on there and said, ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but God took care of him, the ravens. Now listen to this. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this. This is talking about the desert wanderings and here's Elijah's desert experience. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, we don't like to think about that, but that sometimes happens. 
And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That kind of reminds me of the manna, the, the thing with the ravens coming. It kind of reminds you from, with the manna from heaven, right? That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You hear that? That's what the lean times are supposed to teach us. The times where it's not going so good. The times like COVID-19 and things are kind of stirred up. It's to, to teach us to become more dependent, to humble ourselves before God, cry out to Him for His help and His provision. And not just so that we can get through the, the serious times, but so that we can take that and build a faith bank that will take us through the next part of our journey. So not, God's not just wanting to get you through. He's wanting to get you to some kind of place. All right. I'm almost done. I did say almost, right? <laughs> Go to that brook. And it says this. This is interesting to me. I will feed you there. Say, everybody say, I will feed you there. That's an important place to be, isn't it? Because wherever God told you to be, that's where the provision comes, right? Because there is there and here is not there. And if you're over here when you're supposed to be over there, then you don't get over here what over there can give you because you're over here. You understand what I'm talking about? So what you got to do is cancel out where you are here and go over there where he said, because the idea is not where you are. The idea is where are you supposed to be? Over here? No, nope. there. God said, I'm going to feed you there. The inference is if, if Elijah doesn't go to the brook, whether he likes it or not, I don't know. If he doesn't go to the brook, he doesn't get the bread. Now, it doesn't seem logical. Maybe logically it seems that Elijah should be making a preaching tour all throughout Israel. He should be going from house to house and town to town, proclaiming the word of the Lord. Maybe that would be in his heart. But that's not what's in God's mind. I want you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Say that with me. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. You know, that ought to be the stance of every believer. That whatever the Lord says. In fact, Mary, that's what she said. Whatever he says, you do it. They got water out of wine. Or water to wine in that situation. Elijah goes and gets sustaining. I mean, everybody else is going hungry. Everybody else's brook is already gone. Elijah is sustained according to the word and will of God. He went and did but if you don't go, it don't flow. You know what I'm saying? It don't come your way. So we went and did according to the word of the Lord. And to close it up, it says this in verse number seven. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. It happened after a while that the brook dried up. You know, brooks often dry up on us, don't they? Brooks of provision often change. But here's the, here's the truth of it all. The brook will dry up, but God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. You see what Elijah was learning, and he, he knew this, but we have to keep learning as humans. We have to keep knowing this, is that the brook is wonderful, and it's good, and it's cool, and it's refreshing, and it helps, and it supplies my needs. But the brook, as wonderful as it is, it is not my source. 
God is my source. God, he's the one who gave me the brook. He's the one who gave me the bread. He's the one who gave me the meat. Give it to me every day, every morning, every evening. God is my source. Now, where does that play out in our lives? Paper mills come and go. God is my source. Lumber jobs, meal jobs, mechanic jobs, forestry jobs, sales jobs, they come and go. But God is our source. And you be thankful for whatever brook he's given you in this season. But you don't, you don't get fooled by that brook. That's not God. God is the source. And if one brook dries up, guess what? He'll have something else for you. We, we, have you ever had a brook dry up? You ever got a pink slip? Somebody change up on you? Life just kind of takes a left turn? You ever had that kind of stuff happen before? You learn that God is our source. We put our trust in Him. Now, how does all this point to Jesus? Because all these stories are, are pointing to Christ to teach us how to follow Him. How, how, how does all this point to Jesus? There, there were two elements, especially, that, that was provided to Elijah. Two supernatural provisions. You, you see it? There was water and there was bread. Did you see that? Do you hear the words of Jesus in that idea? The water and the bread. Remember the story of the woman at the well? She wanted to drink. And Jesus just simply looked at her and said, you know, if you drink from this, you're, you're going to thirst again. And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have said, ask of him, and he would have given you living water. Because whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that I am the living water. But in order for you to take of the living water of Jesus, you've got to learn to drink. You've got to learn to drink. And then the bread. John 6 Jesus goes to a great length to talk about bread. Moses gave you the bread from heaven, but your father in heaven, he sends bread from heaven. And he says that I am that bread of life. I am providing myself for you to feast on. <laughs> it's kind of odd. In fact, when Jesus said that kind of thing, the Bible says it struck people so odd that they turned around and left him. Jesus said, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You hear? Jesus is our living water. He is our bread of life. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful story. We thank you for Elijah and his faith. It inspires us. It helps us. strengthens us. More importantly, Lord, thank you that you are our living water. You are that brook that has been provided, that stream to refresh our souls, to heal us, to quench the thirst that we're looking for in all kinds of other ways. And Lord, you are the bread of life, the bread that's come from heaven to save us, sustain us, heal us, keep us.